I share these hymns because in them they contain a very easy answer to when we're not necessarily feeling uh, particularly spiritual. Go to God. There is the answer. Keep God as your vision. Go to Jesus for rest, for renewal, for light in dark times. Just go there. And whatever happens in your life, you will receive the joy of heaven. I want life to be that easy. And that would be great if it was, but for some reason it never ends up being that easy, does it? It's actually not easy to go to God. And it would be a terrible mistake to minimize this problem or to try and find, try and find just a little bit of help for those spiritually dry periods just to get us through to feeling a little bit better. It would actually be a mistake to settle for managing or settle for just getting by in life with a little bit of help from Jesus. But this is plainly what we do in our lives. See, we own our lives. We own our lives. And we look for a little bit of help from here and from there. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just one or three of the here and theres. All I need is a little bit of help from God to get through my week. Last week, I shared a little bit with you uh, from Eugene Peterson's Under the Unpredictable Plant, is the name of the book. And I'm going to share a lot more today with you from that book. It's been very helpful, helpful in thinking through this. He writes this, the people who gather in our congregations want help through a difficult time. They want meaning and significance in their ventures. They want God in a way, but certainly not a jealous God, not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mostly they want to be their own God and stay in control, but have ancillary idle assistance for the hard parts. I find myself wanting this. I want to be in control of my own life, and I'd like a little bit of help from God. But that means that God is not my God anymore. And here's our basic problem. We are idolaters, and our primary idol that we worship in place of God is ourself. This is the beauty of the Jonah story as a mirror for our lives. Jonah, his journey was not easy by any means. And at the beginning of the story, he basically put himself first, not listening to God, not letting God be his God. He put himself first and ran to Tarshish. But then the storm hit, and he was forced to turn to God in the belly of the fish. When Jonah prays this, his prayer that we heard, he connects to something far bigger than just getting a little bit of help. It maybe starts there, but you can see clearly how God is in complete control in Jonah's prayer. God describes his own calling where he calls out to the Lord from the depths. That's what he describes at the beginning of his prayer. And he describes how God answered him, how God listened to his cry. But in verse 3... We don't get the immediate bit of help that we might want if we are in his situation. So Jonah's prayer doesn't go like this. He doesn't pray this. But this is what we would probably pray. 
I called to you, O God, and you threw me a life preserver, and I used it and managed to swim to shore. But that's how we imagine our lives, isn't it? That's how we want it to work. God, I just need a little bit of help so that I can use that help to manage on my own. Instead, in chapter 2, verse 3, Jonah says this to God. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves swept over me. Doesn't sound like a lot of help. God is dangerous, but he is in control. And after dragging Jonah down to the depths, he also pulls him up out of the depths. Jonah, God puts Jonah down into the depths of the sea in order to bring him out. We don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be dragged down into the depths in order to be pulled out. In the midst of this, though, however, Jonah commits to God and claims in verse 8 that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. This is what he says in the belly of the fish. This is true as well. When we place other things before God, when we cling to idols, even the idol of ourselves, what we miss out on is God's love. We cannot accept it anymore. We cannot receive it anymore. But when we give into God's control, into Christ's lordship, the love of God is opened up to us. And it's this great mystery that we can't quite understand. We need to keep going back to that over and over again. Or we miss it. Suddenly we start feeling disconnected from God and his love. It's because we've prayed these kinds of prayers. Well, God, just help me with this. God, help me with that. But we've never put God above us. We've never been under Christ's lordship and let God actually be God. That's when God's love opens up for us. The classic hymns are right. We must turn to God, to Christ, but we must do it with God actually being God. And not just seeking a little bit of help or a dose of meaning injected into my life for this week. Eugene Peterson contends that Jonah needed the three days and nights in the fish. He needed it. That this time and space provided by God is what gives Jonah the occasion and opportunity for prayer that puts God back in the proper place in Jonah's life. Peterson reminds his reader of Matthew 12 verse 40 where Jesus says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He compares his own death and burial and time in the tomb to Jonah's experience in the fish. And we are invited to do this as well. We, in fact, need this as well. It's hard because we do what we can to avoid failure, to avoid hardship, to avoid suffering. That suffering and hardship and failure, which is so much on display on Good Friday when Jesus dies, we avoid that. And even if we take it, we rarely wait on the Saturday. We want to rush to the Sunday, to things getting better, to the resurrection. We hope for Easter Sunday, but it's on our terms. We, we actually want God 
almost the way we want Easter chocolate, actually. A dose of happy to make despair go away. Or simply to mask it. Rather than the way God really is, transforming or obliterating despair with miraculous, life-changing, life-giving resurrection. We tend not to want that the same way. Just give me the chocolate so I can feel happier. Uh, We don't want to wait in the belly of the fish. We don't want to wait in the tomb, hoping that God will do something. What we want is just a little bit of help, God. And the reality is, most of us aren't even in the belly of the fish. We're actually still in the raging storm, wondering if God will just throw us the life preserver. And there's this giant fish there with his mouth open, waiting for us to jump in. But we don't want to do that. The belly of the fish... In the depths, that is where we will find God. Now, I'm not advocating making your life worse just so God can rescue you. Instead, what I'd like to suggest and what Eugene Peterson suggests is the conditions for proper prayer to be set in your life. The fish is the place and time for meeting God in prayer, and that is truly what we need. What is, I heard the voice of Jesus say, but our listening to God in prayer? And what is, I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. What what is that if it's not meeting God in prayer? But we're back to it not being so simple. Because is that it? Pray? You might pray all the time. Or you may not. Either way, you may not be gaining in your spiritual life much. So what is it about Jonah and the belly of the fish that works? I'm going to read to you some sections from Under the Unpredictable Plant for you that I think are helpful. So here's the first one. This is the hard part, for in the ordinary course of things, God does not appoint a fish to swallow us into the place and time of prayer. We have to find our own place, carve out our own time. It is hard because however necessary we believe it to be, It does not feel necessary. On most days of our lives, there will be neither the pressure of pain nor the lure of ecstasy, and there will be plenty of other pressures and lures to do something quite other and different. Isn't that true? Peterson goes on to explain that the components needed are quite simple. I quote again, a place and a time closet and a clock, sanctuary and silence. Anybody can manage that for a while. It is the dailiness that is difficult. The usual American council given at this point, namely the diligent application of willpower, is singularly ineffective. Most Christians have prayer closets that are a maiden of failed resolves. Eugene Peterson is not depressed, by the way. Me telling you, just pray every day, it won't work. At least not for all of you, all of the time, every day. It doesn't work for me all of the time, that's for sure. Peterson examines Jonah's prayer life, or prayer itself, sorry, Jonah's prayer, to find an answer to our prayer problem. He rightly points out that Jonah's prayer isn't particularly creative, nor is it particularly spontaneous. 
And this is quite interesting because his situation is actually unparalleled in Scripture. This doesn't happen to anybody else. You'd think that his prayer, if anyone's prayer, would be unique for his circumstances, yet all the language of Jonah's prayer can readily be found somewhere else in the Bible. And that somewhere else is the book of Psalms. He doesn't pray one particular psalm, but every word, every image in Jonah's prayer is found in the psalms. Peterson goes through showing the concepts and phrases, and he pulls from Psalm 18, 120, 42, 139, 5, 69, 30, 142, and 3. Even the form of his prayer is basically a psalm of praise to God. Well, what does that tell us? Jonah knew the Psalms. Every good believer, every good Jewish person knew the Psalms. Jesus knew the Psalms. All of his disciples did. They probably all knew them by heart. They knew the Psalms, and that was the source that Jonah went to when connecting with God. And if we'd lived a few generations ago, not that long ago, this wouldn't be surprising to us at all. Peterson puts it this way. For 1,800 years, virtually every church used this text, the Psalms. It's only in the last couple of hundred years that it has been discarded in favor of trendy devotional aids, psychological mood benders, and walks on a moonlit beach. Really what we're talking about is how to sustain a robust spirituality even when it's difficult. And Peterson, using Jonah as a model, reminds us that for millennia, the church had an answer to that question, and we've forgotten it. This passage by Peterson is brilliant. There's no lack in, uh, there's no lack in us of the impulse to pray, and there's no scarcity of requests to pray. Desire and demand keep the matter of prayer before us constantly. And he's primarily talking to pastors in his book. Okay. So why are so many lives prayerless? Simply because the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. We need a bucket, Peterson says. We need a container that holds water. Desires and demands are a sieve. The water's going to go right through. We need a vessel suited to lowering desires and demands into the deep Jacob's well of God's presence and word, bringing them to the surface again. The Psalms are such a bucket. They are not the prayer itself, but the most adequate container for prayer that has ever been devised. It is not impossible, perhaps, to construct a container of a different shape and material that will serve makeshift. It has certainly been done often enough, but why settle for such as that when we have this magnificently designed and spaciously proportioned container given to us and already at hand? I love that. We know we need God. But we tend to forget or somehow miss the language that we need for the actual connection with God. 
What we need is to go to school and learn. Jonah in the belly of the fish is our jumping off point for learning again that we must continually learn to pray. And we need to pray in such a way that the true God and not one of our own making becomes present to us. Peterson contends that it's the Psalms that does that. Again from Peterson. The fundamental ascetic form or devotional form. And this is the church's consensus for 2,000 years is the Psalms prayed daily in sequence each month. This is the office of the Roman Catholic, the Book of Common Prayer of the Anglican, and for the rest of us, the Psalms divided into 30 segments and prayed through monthly, whether we feel like it or not. Augustine called the Psalms a school. Ambrose provided a livelier metaphor, gymnasium, in which we go daily, go for daily workouts, keeping ourselves in shape for a life of spirituality, fully alive human beings. Daily reading of the Psalms, through all 150 of them, every month. Some of you may in fact do this already. And I did for a time, but it's been a really long time. This was foundational for Christians for about 1,800 years. Other spiritual practices were built on this bedrock. And we'll talk about other spiritual practices. We'll do that. But they were always added on. They were always built upon this fundamental practice, daily praying the Psalms. And we've, by and large, lost it. See, Jonah, when he's in the belly of the fish, he has the words to say. And what a prayer of power that he prayed. Because he's gone to school every day to learn it. It's funny how we'll go to school for all kinds of other things. We'll spend tons of money, even, to learn all kinds of other things. Most psalms, if you read five of them, you need to read about five a day. That takes you probably less than ten minutes until you get to one of the really long ones, but there's not too many of those. Go to school for five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, and learn how to connect with the creator of everything that is. If only it were easy to go to God and receive his grace. It's not easy, actually. But what a miracle God has actually given us the tools to learn to receive God's grace properly. If only we would use them. Here is one upon which the basic Christian spirituality was built for almost all the history of the church. Daily praying the Psalms. Imagine if we did that and learned the language to connect with God once again. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 69. This is actually one of the longer Psalms. 
It's not too bad. I'd like you to listen and pray this psalm in your mind until you hear something that you think you need to latch on to. There's a lot in this psalm, so you're not going to take it all in. Listen until you hear something that gives you language for the prayer that you need to pray today. Now, if that happens for you, you have found your bucket to draw out of the well. Use it and draw from God's well. Now, it may not happen for you. This is why this is supposed to be a daily practice and not a one sermon on a random Sunday kind of thing. So that's okay. But listen carefully. Listen to hear if your prayer is in this psalm this morning. You may want to close your eyes as well as we normally do for prayer. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Many are those who would destroy me, my enemies who accuse me falsely. What I did not steal must I now restore. O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Do not let those who hope in you be put to shame because of me, O Lord God of hosts. Do not let those who seek you be dishonored because of me, O God of Israel. It is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my kindred, an alien to my mother's children. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I humbled my soul with fasting, they insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is in you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. With your faithful help, rescue me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to me. Redeem me. Set me free because of my enemies. You know the insults I receive, my shame and dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table be a trap for them, a snare for their allies. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute those whom you have struck down and those whom you have wounded. They attack still more. Add guilt to their guilt. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. 
Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am lowly and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own that are in bonds. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. And his servants shall live there and possess it. The children of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall live in it. Amen.